Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. This season, we're discussing how the Bible speaks to Asian American biblical scholars and how the church shapes and informs their scholarship. I'm Jeanette Oak, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Centering, the Asian American Christian podcast, where we talk about all things related to Asian American Christian life and to living out Asian American Christian faith. My name is Jeanette Oak, and I am honored to be your host for today. Uh, it's also my special privilege to host this particular season of Centering because it's focusing on biblical scholarship for the church. I'm a biblical scholar, and I love the church and want to see how to bridge the distance between the church and the academy. And so some of the questions we've been asking this season is why does biblical scholarship matter for the church? How are biblical scholars shaped by and do their work for the church? How can we help mature and um, challenge the church and vice versa? And so to help explore such questions, I've invited my friend, Dr. Jung Choi, and I want to first tell you a little bit about her. Jung Choi serves as Senior Director of Wesleyan Formation Initiatives, Co-Director of Asian House of Studies, and consulting faculty at Duke Divinity School. She does a lot of things at Duke. She's a scholar teacher trained in New Testament and early Christianity. And before coming to Duke, Jung was an assistant professor of religious studies at North Carolina Wesleyan College in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. So you've been in North Carolina for a while now. Mm -hmm. Jung is committed to expanding access to theological education to diverse groups of students and works passionately to that end through implementing innovative pedagogies and designing programs and courses. Jung is dedicated to church ministry, both at local and connectional levels. Connectional is a very Methodist term. She's instructor for the New Testament courses for the Deaconess and Home Missioners for the United Methodist Women and leads the Rediscovering the Heart of Methodism project for future pastors and also current Methodist leaders. Among other works, Jung has published a chapter in gender, a chapter called Gender, Race, and the Normalization of Prophecy in Early Christianity and Korean and Korean American Christianity, in Minoritized Women Reading Race and Ethnicity, an Intersectional Approaches to Constructing Identity in Early Christian Texts, edited by Mitzi Smith and Jin Young Choi. That's 2020, I remember. Mm -hmm. And she's currently working on a book on early Christian prophecy and leadership. Jung is a busy woman. She serves on the steering committee of the Wesleyan and Methodist Studies Unit at the AAR, which is the American Academy of Religion, and um, in the Korean Biblical Colloquium Unit at the Society of Biblical Literature. Her interests, if you've been listening, uh, lie in prophecy in both the ancient Mediterranean and contemporary world concerning race, gender, and power. And she's also interested in the relationships and the divergences among first and second and third generations of Asian American Christians. So it is wonderful to have you here and to see you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's just such an honor. So John, what have you been up to lately? Uh, I know you're writing a book. Mm -hmm. Is there a any particular biblical texts that have been keeping you up at night or exciting you? Um, and if so, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I've been thinking a lot about these days about Act 15, Act okay. of the Apostles in 15, because that is so-called Jerusalem Council, where the early Christian leaders were gathering to discuss theological questions. I am particularly interested in this text these days because that I have been involved with global ecumenism, especially these months, along with Dr. David Gautley, 
at Duke Divinity School currently, who currently. will be <laughs> currently, <laughs> and then who will be uh, the next president for Fuller Theological Seminary. So with Dr. Gotuyen and I led 10 students as well as two alumni mm. to Germany to uh, during the summer wow. to attend the World Council of Churches. So that was such important meetings. I was honored to be there with our students. Isn't that where you met some person like called the Pope? <laughs> oh, it's a it's a, the next meeting. <laughs> oh, you okay. You have to tell us about that one, okay? <laughs> right. So that uh, World Council of Churches was in September, and then I visited Rome in October, and to met <laughs> met Pope at the time. Oh, you know. Um, <laughs> can you just not every day I meet someone who's hung out with the Pope so can you tell us a little bit about that experience sure so our group uh, our group of 16 international commissions eight Catholic and an eight Methodist along with uh, the other two cardinals we had a private audience with the Pope and because it was an international commission, the people were saying, when we were shaking hands with the Pope, uh, people were saying, that, oh, I'm from Argentina or I'm from Puerto Rico and such. And then I, when I, it became my turn, I didn't say, oh, I'm originally from South Korea. I didn't say that. Or from Korean uh, diaspora. Instead, I just said very quickly and very briefly, oh, I'm from Korea. Um, and then he he was just smiling and then he just looked at me and, and saying, oh, pray for peace. It's really hard there. Pray for peace. And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was beautiful. And then he was wonderful, very down to earth and cracking joke. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a surreal experience for sure. Wow. <laughs> wonderful. So it was just such an honor. And then as you can imagine that um, Act 15 as one of the first gathering, the first important gathering for councils that has been cited in various ecumenical documents. So it has really grabbed my attention. And then as me as a, as a Asian diaspora, I have gave, gave, given it lots of thought and then uh, thinking about how it will is affecting us in various ways. Oh, take us into the text a little bit. Sure. I can read some of verses and I'm reading Act 15 in NRSV. Okay. Because this is just such a long chapter, I will read just a six or seven verses, starting at verse one. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And they, as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. And I will read some more, starting verse 6. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, 
Peter stood up and said to, me, to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. This gathering that happened in Jerusalem is particularly interesting because it started with the saying that they gathered because they disagreed. Mm. We see in the verse 2 that uh, dissent, stasis, mm. and discussion point, and jettisis, that we see that all the Christians, the oldest Jesus followers gathers because they disagreed. That was such an important and a very interesting and intriguing point. And they, of course, agreed on the most fundamental matter, which is Jesus is the Lord for all, uh, for Jews and for Gentiles as well. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit is working the same way for the Jews and for Gentiles as well. Um, they agreed on these important matters but they also disagreed on many important matters. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is just such a fascinating and important uh, in many ways. Right, because you know, the point of connection is their dissension and debate. We, we, think, right. we think of it as point of departure, but for That's this right. gathering, it was the, well, of course, the commonalities that they share in Christ. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so connected to the why this, it become really interesting to me and not just for me for many others is as a conversation of the global ecumenism goes mm -hmm. that there is very old and traditional saying that unity is not uniformity mm -hmm. i see that saying is really relevant in this passage in this chapter because they, the early christian leaders and all the christians uh, they gathered and they have a unity but it doesn't mean that there is uniformity. It means that there are diverse voices. They keep their diverse voices, but they are united in the important front. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they end with diversity. They end with uh, not uniformity. And especially when we are thinking about this, their different cultural standpoint mm -hmm. and their stories, different stories. We see that there are Gentiles and there are Palestine Jews and there are also diaspora Jews. And when they are gathering here, they are bringing their experiences. So that's that's really important, theologically important, and it is very real. So it, that is, especially for us, uh, for diaspora, Asian diaspora in the U.S., for us to think about what we what we agree on, mm. what is the unity that we have, but it doesn't mean that uniformity. Uh, we have differences and a diverse lives and a diverse points which we are keeping. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we need to erase our differences. So that's, that's the couple of things that I have been thinking about these days, especially. And uh, when I, the part that I didn't read is actually, the verse eight and nine. Okay. It says that verse eight, and God who knows a human heart testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit and just as he did to us. And verse nine is, and in cleansing their hearts by faith, 
he has made no distinction between them and us. This Same person, mm -hmm, the verse nine is really important because okay. that when we see that he, meaning God uh, here, God has made no distinction. Uh, the verse that uh, we see here is diacrino, mm -hmm. that it means that there is no distinction between them meaning here, the Gentile and us, meaning Jewish. Um, so the distinction doesn't mean the sameness. And uh, it doesn't mean that it, when we see that God has made no distinction between them and us, it doesn't mean that we become the same, which is really important part that when we are reminded of Galatians 3, 28 and 29, that it does not mean that uh, we are united, but it doesn't mean that our differences are erased. Mm. We are keeping our particularities, uh, but by the grace of God, by God's spirit, we are united. Wow. First, it feels so relevant to our very polarizing times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the language of ecumenism, and I know that's the kind of work that you've been committed to for for many years. It's hard to do that right now at home in between two churches, even between the aisles of the pews within one's own yeah. home church. Yes. Mm -hmm. So to think about different denominations and uh, faith communities mm -hmm. is one thing, but even within faith communities, single faith communities, mm -hmm. that seeing difference and as a point of connection, not departure, mm -hmm. and being mm -hmm. able to hold to mm -hmm. honor, to even celebrate diversity and particularity while holding fast to commit to shared commitments. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to do. And mm -hmm. it must have been such a very rowdy and crazy event. <laughs> I'm imagining, <laughs> or maybe not rowdy, but a really, a very messy. Yes, that's that's really true. We can imagine that how messy, as you say, and how rowdy, and there are lots of emotions there. We can see that these different actors, the people who are playing here, they are, they are very much committed to Christ, and they have their particularities. We can imagine that there are sense of loss and sense of trauma uh -huh. and a sense of justification and then there are so many questions especially in terms of identities and then of course as diaspora we are thinking a lot about that um, we can in some ways identify with uh, with the Barnabas and Paul who were diaspora Jews mm -hmm. and then who were in some ways interesting thing is that they do not have a voice here Mm. When we are reading entirety in a chapter chapter fifteen, we see the voices from Peter and mm -hmm. James, of course, who are the leaders, the important leaders of Jerusalem Church. But then Paul and Barnabas, they do not have voice. So it was particularly interesting that these leaders, Paul and Barnabas, are important leaders, but who are diaspora leaders in the place of Jerusalem. Right, right. When they do not have a voice. Upon that's entering, right. Right. That's, that's right. Yeah. So when mm -hmm. we are reading Galatians later, of course, uh -huh. that was written by Paul, but we see something different, mm -hmm. different politics, politics of space, if you will, are at play. Because here, Paul and Barnabas are, uh, they do not talk much here. 
But then in Galatians, in Antioch, which is not Palestine, mm -hmm. which is a diaspora, there Paul is even speaking up to Peter and it even mm. saying, <laughs> criticizing Peter. Yes. So we think that this is, of course, important theological matters, but theological ideas and a theological point and in our sociological standpoint are not easily separate. It is connected. So it's a very interesting, interesting text. Oh, yeah. And you bring up Galatians because this is a text <laughs> I've been teaching when I teach Paul, like I'm comparing oh. this account with his account. Of yes, yes. <laughs> and when you're talking about the politics of space and also Paul being, you know, in his element, right? Right. And exactly. The, the boldness he, and the way he recalls that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, in some ways that uh, Jerusalem is not his tur tur turf. Turf. Yeah. Turf. <laughs> but in Antioch, he can. Yeah. He can be himself. Ooh, this is fun. We could go on and on, but I guess I should Definitely. move on. I'm writing about this in one of the I book chapters, so I would love to talk more. Okay, well, let's do that. How do you tell us, Jung, about how you came to become a biblical scholar? How did you know you wanted to be one? Uh, what was your journey like? Who are some key players in that journey? Of course, we can start from our families. <laughs> uh -huh. My great-grandfather was one of the, the early Methodist pastors in Korea, and he was chaplain and Bible teacher for both Old Testament, Hebrew Bible and New Testament, at a girls' school founded by Methodist, Southern Methodist Society, Mission Society. This school was, girls' school was in Korea. So growing up, that um, to be a biblical scholar was kind of important family legacy. Mm. And uh, my grandmother was pastor and my father and my mother, they are all pastors. Uh -huh. And then I'm particularly, I was particularly interested in the Bible, drawn to Bible, mostly from my academic and a spiritual search for these diverse voices. Mm. And I was thinking about I was thinking about for a long time that, oh, I will study 19th and 20th century mission history and especially the women's leadership. So you thought you wanted to be a historian initially? Yes, I was. Yes, I was thinking about it. And then I was intrigued by this particular reference point to early Christianity. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now it is a messy, but then in early Christianity, in New Testament, everything was good. <laughs> And uh, there is this reference point, and in all Christianity, everything was fine, and then everything was united. And then I was thinking that, well, is it? And then I wanted to study this reference point, mm -hmm. important reference point. Mm -hmm. Of course, as Christians, we have many reference points uh, for Protestant, uh, Protestant Christians like Reformation. Mm -hmm. Me as a Methodist, you can see the, the time of John Wesley. Those are important reference points. But I wanted to go earlier. And then how about New Testament and early Christianity? So that's what I studied. Um, the New Testament and early Christianity. And then I was very pleasantly surprised <laughs> to see that it was very diverse and messy then <laughs> as well. As your text reveals. Exactly, exactly. 
So that was important, uh, important subject matter, of course, academically, but also spiritually, that how the people of God bring their particular self. Um, and, and there are lots of things that they dis disagree with one another. It is messy, mm -hmm. but also there is a particular yearning for unity in spite of this messiness and the messiness is not erased completely and then we will live with it but there how the god's spirit is working beautifully and mysteriously has been always fascinated me so i became the scholar of new testament and all christianity and then which is really important relevance to our time and in our lives in such important ways as you know so well Janet. wow so you were, you know, when people would refer to, oh, the early church of this golden era, this very unified time when the church was at its, its best, you had this suspicion <laughs> or this hunch, like, I don't know. <laughs> because it sounds like you, as you, you don't assume that the messiness, mm. the dissent, the debate mm. is a sign of disunity. That's right. That's right. And a lot of times when we think of unity, it, it really does include erasure. Mm -hmm. And that, that can be so harmful. And so it's just, it's so interesting mm -hmm. that, that that led you from becoming potentially a historian to a biblical scholar of New Testament. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm Daniel Lee, the academic dean of Fuller Seminary's Asian American Center. I hope you've been enjoying Centering. Our vision is to provide substantive conversations on topics that really matter to the Asian American Christian community and to others who care about us. This work is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Your contributions help cover the production and editing of this podcast and continue to affirm that this work is important to our community. To support Centering, please visit fuller.edu slash giveaac. Again, that link is fuller.edu slash giveaac. Thank you for listening. Are there uh, so you had a, a legacy of pastors, Methodist pastors in your family. Mm -hmm. So what brought you from Korea, South Korea to the States? Can you share a little bit about that journey? I believe that I got a calling early on to be a teacher of pastors, mm. to raise good pastors because that my great grandfather and my grandmother and her sisters they all studied in a seminary, Korean Methodist Seminary in Korea. Um, and then many of their teachers were American missionaries. And they prayed that it would be wonderful that because, because they, they were taught by American missionaries, it would be great that their descendant can teach American Christians. That is mm -hmm. such a way of sharing love. And growing up, I always volunteered and then praying that, dear God, <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to be those people that mm. go back to the States and then teach Christians here. So I have prayed for it. So right after my undergrad in Korea, I came to the U.S. to study theology here. And then I forgot about my childhood prayers, but God was leading me in such a way that I remembered my prayers and then I realized that God answered. 
my mm. prayers and my ancestors' prayers in such a way that I did not imagine. And then I am teaching and working in North Carolina, Duke now and before North Carolina Wesleyan College. And then I realized that the American missionaries and the uh, Methodist Women's Society who sent money and uh, offerings and was sent to missionaries so that they built a school in Korea and where my great-grandfather was uh, chaplain and then my my grandmother went to school to study mm-hmm. they are from North Carolina really the missionaries were in North Carolina yeah wow. I didn't know that but then after I came here I I was just studying and digging through the historical document and I realized they were in North Carolina and uh, the Methodist woman so I was thinking that this is how God is leading us in such a mysterious way. But at the same time, it was God's divine guidance. But we also responded to that and saying, yes. I was, when I was a teenager, I said, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to teach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then so I became the first generation Korean diaspora here. And then that's how I came here, and I feel the love of the the American missionaries who went to Korea, and um, and I see the complexity there, the nuance there, and mm-hmm. even the messiness there. But this messiness does not mean that uh, it's 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 a problematic. Again, to quote the maxim, the ecumenical maxim, ecumenical maxim. Sorry, mm-hmm. the unity is not uniformity. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many things that we may disagree with, even our ancestors and with American missionaries and with just as our landscape in our churches show, but we agree on important matters mm. and more, more so that that uh, the gospel spirit is uniting us with our differences. So that's that's really important part of my teaching as well. Yeah. Mm. I love the convergence that I'm hearing <laughs> in your story. As a first-generation Korean diasporic person, as you've described yourself, mm-hmm. can you share about how your social location impacts the way you interpret the Bible? And you've done so already. Right. And maybe even more specifically. Mm. I am particularly interested in how the the textual crevice happens mm. when we are reading the Bible. Textual uh, crevice. The textual crevice, oh which God. takes the shape of absence mm. or void or lack of presence. Mm. Uh, like who are represented here and then whose voices are not heard Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that and then we can imagine that like act 15 we can see that this gathering we only hear the male voice here but would there be female leaders mm-hmm. in this gathering and uh but their presence we do know that there were female leaders christian leaders and really important leaders and were they in this gathering, even though the text does not show that? Mm-hmm. And whose voices are heard? As I talked about, right. that, uh, Paul and Barnabas are mostly silent here, and the Peter and James are much more uh, assertive here. 
these kind of interplay are mm -hmm. really important part of you know, my scholarship. And then, as I said, that the politics of space is really important matters. And then I'm very particularly uh, pay attention to in our church gathering, like uh, mm -hmm. in the immigrant church, who get to speak mm -hmm. and who get to be silenced in these matters. And so first generation, some churches and first generations are more dominant. <laughs> Second and third generations are, they do not speak much. It depends on if, when it's their turf, right? Sometimes. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. So, which is very interesting. And mm. um, so when, when we see that, I can imagine that like a document later when the gathering was happening, when the document may not represent what happened there, uh, yeah. when some people talked about it important matters would their voice be heard in these documents and all of us and in our differences but we come to love god and we come to love god's people that's why we come to church but in here certain people's voices are more privileged in certain ways and uh, also i see that um, some people are silent it doesn't mean that they do not have voice they do not have it doesn't mean that they do not have opinion mm -hmm. but many times uh, when people do not talk about it it is interpreted in a certain way mm -hmm. uh, which may not mean uh, what they were trying to uh, trying to explain well so I see that these kind of that the silence and the assertion and then how the text presents who can be in his or her or their element. These kind of questions are really important matters that um, that influence me when I'm reading the Bible and when I'm teaching the Bible. Yeah. So who you are as a Korean, a first-generation diasporic woman who enters the biblical text and enters spaces like ecumenical spaces with the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because you, you talk about the interplay of silence and privilege of assertion mm -hmm. and the way that you can nuance that because probably if, if I'm if it fair to say at least I can speak for myself like you I could have been in a room and others don't remember I was there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean I wasn't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I may not have been the keynote or mm -hmm. even speaking up very loudly at a meeting but it doesn't mm -hmm. mean I wasn't engaged mm -hmm. and fully present and sometimes the ways that we value certain types of presence mm -hmm. is reflective of our social location. Right. And what, who we deem invisible is often because of our, our privileged position. Exactly. Exactly. And who you exactly. notice and make space for is often because you've been overlooked and not made given space. That's right. That's I'm just right. connecting some of the things that you've been saying to yeah. um, the yes. importance yes. of how, who we are, it really does impact what we attend to when we read a text. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, the, and in your case, you're talking about those who aren't necessarily named or aren't necessarily speaking, but doesn't mean they're not there. And it doesn't mean they don't have a place or a role of significance. Mm -hmm. Would that be a fair uh, recap? Oh, yes. Yes. So, Jung, I know that you are very active in your ministry, in the Methodist church, in your ministry at your own local church, at your ministry and work at Duke, your mother a community builder, et cetera. So you've got a lot going on and I'm not naming all of it. So what do you do to stay passionate and creative in your work, to stay sane and healthy? Are there any practices that you're 
that you do habits rhythms that yeah. you can share with us i love to walk i love to visit lake mm. the, the trail and the mountains um are those all very accessible to you where you live it's very accessible i'm That's blessed with that <laughs> And a good thing is that recently my family got a dog. Small oh, dog. yes, that's right. <laughs> so I need to walk every day with him. So that's that's really important part of me uh, and in my life that um, I love to pray when I'm walking. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what I need to, not need to, but what I want to uh, preach about what I want to teach for my students and uh, my church community and such so that's that's important part of me and then also I love to talk with my friends um, like Janet <laughs> and then I really cherish that uh, our Wabash small group the mentoring oh, yeah. group uh, then you and I and then two other people have been a part of so those kind of small groups are really important part of me that where mm. I can be safe, feel safe, and mm -hmm. then talk about things and test ideas and then cry together sometimes yeah. and then laugh together and have meals eat. together. <laughs> oh, eat. eat. And I forgot to tell you that in Act 15 in Jerusalem Council, I was looking at it and um, it seems like they did not have any meal together, <laughs> which is a really important so. part. <laughs> yeah, take me up so. <laughs> no fun, no fun. We, we are Hard to have a meal <laughs> together <laughs> in spite of uh, how how intense the meeting might be. Yeah. Uh, so the having meals together with loved ones, with my friends and colleagues and my students and having coffee together. Um, better yet, having coffee and then walk together. <laughs> and... Coffee, pastry, walk together. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. that's my favorite part. <laughs> you know that's funny. Like that's that is a missing element. Maybe it was there and they just don't bother to mention. The, right. The... Yeah. So that that's also an important part. So part of texture crevice. Ah. Why did not mention that? That's really mm. important part. That's that's wonderful. Um, can you give us some advice for our listeners for how to delve into deeper study of scripture? Some may be in seminary, um, some may not be. Some are just wanting to grow and, and grow in their discipleship, and some are wanting to grow as preachers and teachers of the Bible. So yeah. any insights and advice you can offer us? I would say I want to think about the important insight that I learned from World Council of Churches this time. There was the ecumenical pilgrimage of justice yeah. and peace. And in that group, there was three-dimensional approach, which is the following. The first is via positiva, the positive way, celebrating yeah. the gift. The second is via negativa, yeah. visiting the wounds yeah. and traumas. The third is via transformativa, the transformative way, uh, the way of transformation, then transforming the injustice. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this three-dimensional approach and thinking about that how this is needed for all of us. Mm -hmm. For those who are identifying themselves as Christians, that we are celebrating the gifts and uh, when we read the Bible, we are overjoying 
overjoyed and we are grateful and we are so happy um, and I'm meeting God with the Bible. But as we go on, we also see lots of wounds. Mm. We also see the traumas and many of us are being neglected and slighted. Our voices are not heard. Our identities are not recognized. And uh, so many discordant and dissensions are, are, are tear, tearing us apart, which is negative way, the way of negative. Mm. But it does not end there. We always are guided by God's spirit. Mm. Um, that God's spirit is always bringing us to transformation and we are to being reconciled and healed and of course this does not neatly divide it <laughs> positive negative and transfer it's a very messy sometimes right. it starts with a negative way and then it goes to positive and going back to negative and transformation and then negative again but in this life we are guided by the holy spirit mm -hmm. and there are lots of traumas and there are lots of loss, mm -hmm. but it does not tear us apart. Yeah. We are called to be united with one another. And when we are reading Bible, we see the gifts, we see the wounds, and we see the trauma. But at the same time, we see the transformation. Mm. That is the hope. Mm. That is not naive hope. Yeah. And it, it's really hard, but we are called to do this, work on this. Mm. And which is my second, the second part that I want to talk about, which is that God's spirit is leading us, but our part is really important. Our human agency is important. Mm -hmm. It's not like that we are just here and then God is guiding us. We are like automaton and we don't have to do anything, but we are called to be in this. Mm. And, and fight for the justice and mm. giving voice to the people whose voices are always there, but right. whose voices are not heard. Mm. And um, who we are to we are called to work uh, for reconciliation and mm. uh, while taking care of ourselves. So our part in in work, working relationship in beautiful working relationship with God's spirit that is important part of how we read the bible as well that we are bringing who we are our particular identity and in our broken hope and um and then in our trauma and our loss and for our beautiful families and in all every all all things yeah who we are we are bringing the bible and we are interacting with this living bible and mm. not just reading as it is but we are interacting with it because the the same spirit is inspiring and working in all of us yeah yeah that's what i want to say yeah wow that so is a more i think it's a more for christians but <laughs> no i think so you just to play that back and hear you back. This is from the world council of churches that you recently went to over yes, yeah. summer. And uh, I hear through the via positiva, via negativa, via transformativa. 
Are mm-hmm. those the three? The v, it's so dynamic. It is. It is. The dynamism, the V, like it's it's happening. And that's right. That's it right. is not linear. It's very right. over, over interactive and intersect and intersect. Yeah. Right. It's an aesthetic and it is not a fluid. Static. Yeah. It's fluid. The movements are all kind of going all at that dynamically at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I love that idea that when we when we do go to scripture, a lot of times as we do so, we it we, we, the spirit reveals the wounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the wounds mm-hmm. um, and the brokenness within the text as well, mm-hmm. as well as exactly. Our exactly. Of our communities, and yet exactly. the healing, the power of the spirit at work mm-hmm. is always there as well. Mm-hmm. So it's really helpful, and it, it names also the need to recognize and take seriously mm-hmm. the wounds and mm-hmm. the trauma, mm-hmm. and not just to wipe it away or to put it under the rug. Right. That that's part right. of that process of transformation mm-hmm. as we encounter scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, what were you going to say? And I'd have a courage to face it, mm. to work with it. Yeah. It's beautiful, powerful. Any other last words before we sign off, sadly? <laughs> I just enjoyed our conversation so much. And um, I do know that you and I particularly will have continued yes. conversations. <laughs> with food, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jung. It was Wonderful talking with you and blessings on all that you do over there in North Carolina and abroad. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here. This has been Centering, the Asian American Christian podcast. Please tune in each week as we continue to discuss how the Bible speaks to us. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are. Thank you.